0: The Psalms are meant to do a few things. They're meant to inform us, right? It's not just song lyrics that we don't have to worry about the content, right? They, they do inform our thinking. But more than that, they, they stir our hearts, right? They make us feel something. And for some of you, you love that. And for some of you, you're still a little cautious with that. Um, and because we know this, that if our hearts are stirred and if our minds are informed, our behavior will be transformed, right? It's going gonna, it's gonna to push us into obedience, into following after Jesus in a different way than if we only mess with our emotions or if we only um, speak to the intellect, because it's speaking to the whole person in a way that, that a lot of Scripture, we have to work harder for it to do that. Um, the Psalms are written over a thousand-year period, so the oldest Psalm is 3,500 years removed from us. The, the, the most recent Psalm to us it would, would only be 2,500 years old. Okay, so there's some, there's some nuance and some difficulty in that, and that the, the imagery that's being used um, is not imagery that we would typically use, um, that the society, we're, we're thousands of years removed from it, and so we're going to have to work and do some um, diagnostic stuff. And, and then, here's the thing, the Psalms resonate with us because they're music, but because it's music and poetry, it's also difficult because it doesn't flow Um, in a translated language like English as it would in its native Hebrew. And so what makes them great also makes them difficult, Um, some more so than others. And yet, as we were in Psalm 1 and Psalm 2, we were reminded of this, that the Psalms are meant to be read asking this question, which path am I on? That Psalm 1 says, look, there's a, a path of wisdom for the godly that will lead to God in eternity, and there's the path of the wicked and the foolish that will lead to destruction. And so as we read through the Psalms, even though we're not going to go back to Psalm 1 over and over again, that we want to be reminded that that is kind of the bumpers that have been given to us. That as you're reading through Psalms, that you're supposed to be asking the question, which, which one am I? Am I the fool or am I the righteous? And then knowing that, that our righteousness does not come by ourselves. It, it comes because of Jesus. And so the Psalms are, again, a little bit unique in this, that the, the, most, the closest Psalm to Jesus would be 500 years prior to him, right? Up to 1,500 years prior. So the Psalms are before him. You're not going to see his name mentioned. And yet Jesus allows us to read the Psalms with a different light because we read them through the eyes of Christ. They, they speak of hope and a suffering servant and one who is going to redeem us. They, they speak to, to hope in the, what, that God is going to do something. And so we find that our righteousness is, in fact, Jesus, that we don't have righteousness on our own. And so as you're reading through the Psalms, if you're feeling arrogant or boastful or going, yeah, I'm this guy, that's, the, that's not the right response. That it should create humility of going, I'm only on this path because of Jesus. The only merit I have is because he has done this on my behalf. And so we're asking God as we are in the Psalms, um, for those of you who are emotionally, um, you're very in tune with your emotions, right? Trying to think of a non-Dan way to say that, right? Because he would offend you. Um, um, And you can hashtag that, so, all right. (laughs) Um, That... that, the psalms are going to give some, some boundaries, right? They're going to give some words to our emotions that they don't just rule us or overrun us. For those of you who are iron and you don't feel, our prayers is this, that the psalms would begin to chip away at that, that you would find that it doesn't mean that you need to cry yourself to sleep every night, right? That you're going to sit and hold hands and sing Kumbaya, but that it is, it is right and it is good and it is healthy to feel emotions, And the psalms are going to give permission to to feel some things. Um, All right. So this morning we're going to be in Psalm 22. Um, Carmen has accused me of only picking dreary psalms, okay? Um, Psalm 22 is a lament, right? So it's a song of sadness. We will do psalms that aren't laments, um, even if I do find myself gravitating to those sometimes. So... um, (laughs) <laughs> alright so let's, let's begin in Psalm 22 my God my God why have you forsaken me why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning oh my God I cry by day but you do not answer by night and I find no rest yet you are holy enthroned on the praises of Israel in you our fathers trusted they trusted and you delivered them to you they cried and were rescued, and you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man. Scorned by mankind and despised by the people, all who see me mock me. They make mouths at me, they wag their heads. He who trusts in the Lord, let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breast. On you I was cast from my birth, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help. Many bulls encompass me, so the strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax, and is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. For dogs encompass me. A company of evil doers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. But you, O oh Lord, do not be far off. Oh, you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. All right, we're going to stop there for the moment. We'll, we'll hit the rest of this in a minute. Um, right, Psalm 22, if, if you're not convinced that the Psalms read different than the rest of Scripture, I think Psalm 22 will do that, right? It is chock full of imagery, Um, I I hope that like a mental picture was beginning to be painted for you, right? That this isn't just a letter from David to his spouse saying, I'm not doing so well, right? But that there is just emotion wrought within it. That that you can picture him, um, right, The, the dry mouth, right? The tongue stuck, broken, encircled, troubled. That is he's trying to explain what he's, what he's feeling and how he's feeling. And, and so I want you to think here, David um, is, is the psalmist here. He's asking some questions. So if you look back at verse 1, look at the questions that he's asking. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Right, the idea of forsaken means to give up and to leave entirely. He's saying, God, you have left me entirely. Why? Look, what else? He says, why are you so far from saving me? We, we, we think of God, we think of, of salvation, and yet here we have David, one that was a man after God's own heart, saying, God, why are you far from saving me? Why have you forsaken me? And then he says, you don't answer. Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And so he's asking these questions. You've left me? You're not answering me? You're not even near to saving me. Right? We, we see just these haunting questions that if we're honest, here's, here's how we handle these questions. We know not to say them. We feel them. We think them in the midst of crisis or tragedy or heartbreak or, or horror that we see across the world. We think them and then we think, but I, I, I'm, that's like walking in some dangerous ground. And so we don't even begin to want to give words and voice to them. And yet, you're thinking these questions are questions that I've probably thought and felt and asked. Um, for you to say these out loud, you've got to be in a pretty bad way. And so I have folks say these out loud and it's never on a good day. And it's never on the first bad day, right? There is something ongoing here that would lead you to ask these kind of hard questions for someone who says, I know and I love and I trust God. He's he's in distress. And look at some of the words that he uses to describe how he's feeling, this picture that he is painting for us. He says, I feel alone, right? You've forsaken me, you're far from me. He's saying, I'm alone. Look what else. He says um, in verse verse, um, 1, the end of it, he talks about his groaning right? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Like, I'm not even getting words out anymore. I'm just kind of moaning here in pain. Verse 2, my God, I cry by day and by night, right? This isn't just when I go to bed, right? I fake it through the day. He's like, I'm emotionally spent completely right now. I'm done. Um, if we go on, look at um, verse 6 but I'm a worm and not a man, right? Like his own identity is beginning to be affected here. He's like, I'm not, maybe I'm not worth this, right? When you begin to get in this kind of emotional state, you begin to say things that sound crazy to those who aren't feeling what you're feeling, right? Because you're like, oh, you're not a worm, you know? But if you're in this state, it's what you feel. It's what what you believe. And so he's saying, I'm a worm. I'm not a man. I'm scorned. He doesn't name individuals here. He said, I'm scorned by mankind. Like, just by humanity, they scorn me. Everyone is against me. I'm despised by the people. Look, they mock me. They make their mouths at me. They wag their heads at me. And and look, he, he quotes them here. He's quoting those who are mocking him. And he says, look, they say back to me, he trusts the Lord, so let the Lord deliver him. Right? They're mocking him saying, he believes the Lord will save him. He's one of those, and he's like, "You're allowing them to mock and humiliate me, and wag their heads, and they think they're winning, because right now they look right. Because you have forsaken me, you are far from me. I'm groaning." Right? You're seeing just the depth of pain and emotion here. Look, it continues. In verse twelve, he begins to just—he uses a lot of imagery here. And he is not literally surrounded by dogs and lions and bulls, okay? But he's giving picture to what it feels like. I'm surrounded. Like, they're around me. And they're bigger and they're stronger and they're more terrifying than me. Right? And whether he is talking of people or whether he is talking of his problems, right? You, You have felt this, right, where you see the monsters around you that are in your heart. They're in your mind. They're in your mind's eye. in just one example of the imagery here. Verse 12, he says, Many bulls encompass me. Strong bulls of Bashan surround me. So Bashan um, is, is a region. It's an area in Israel that gets more rain than, than the most of the, the rest of the nation. Um, and so it's known for, like, being fertile. And the cattle that come from there were larger than any other of the cattle. Right? They were more... They were more prominent and had more size because they had better grass to feed on. And so Bashan began to be known as an area of human pride, right? Because they would say, look at, look at my cattle versus your cattle. Look at the size. Look at what we've produced. And so he says, it's not just that I'm surrounded by bulls. I'm surrounded by the biggest bulls, and they're arrogant, right? It, remember, this is where we get into... He's, in poetry, you don't speak... You're speaking from the heart, and it's not always as clear, right? He could write, I'm surrounded by giant bulls. They're scary looking, right? And yet that doesn't resonate in the same way as, as using this, this imagery. He talks about the ravening and the roaring line. And now I want you to listen to him as he talks about how spent he is in verse 14 and 15. Listen to this again. I am poured out like water. My bones, they're out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. Right? Like you're seeing someone broken physically. And and he's not he's not saying my bones are actually out of joint. My heart is literally melted. But he's saying, like, I'm just done. I'm toast. I'm done. My strength is dried up and it's like a pot shirt. It's like it's a piece of broken pottery. My tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. So basically what he's saying is like you picture a frail, broken individual who can't hardly m- take words now because his mouth is so dry and he's laying in the dust of death and he's like, just finish me. Right? Like, this is the picture that David is painting for us of one laying there going, I've got nothing left to give, take me. This is not a man um, who's just having a bad day, right? You, You don't talk this way because it's Monday, right? Man, boss was a little bit grumpy to me. And so you start talking about, I'm surrounded by all these things. This is an ongoing situation where you have been asking God the same question for a while now and you haven't heard and so you're beginning to get to that point of, like, what's it matter? I'm laying here in the dust of death, and I will raise my fist and ask some questions. Right? Like, that's, that's more the picture that we see here of David. That we see that he is he's hurt, he is affected, that he is at a point of despair, that his emotions are beginning to control him. Right? They're beginning to, to have the final say. And for some of you this morning, here's you because you are more in control of your emotions. You haven't had moments like this yet in your life. And, and here's the thing, you may not, right? Some folks, they're, they're not wired to feel things this deeply, right? And this so it would take tremendous tragedy to get to this place. And so I'm not assuming that you've all been in this place. But if, if for a moment you think that you're not controlled by your emotions more so than you think, Right? You're wrong. So, so let me give you a couple examples that aren't quite so um, indicting as what David is saying. Um, you ever had someone who, they just started talking about how they, how they look, and so they say things like, I feel fat, or I feel pr- not pretty, right? Guys are going, no, right? But, and, and, you're, and you're saying, that's not, that's not true. You're not fat or you're not not right and they're going but it doesn't matter right because i feel that way and so it doesn't matter who in that moment tells you the truth who speaks truth but what you're saying is what what really trumps that are my feelings and that's how i feel today and so that's how i'm going to allow my day to go is based on how i feel we do this in relationships right um i've told the story um of carmen early on in our marriage we would have some arguments right and It'd go, okay. But then afterwards, a week, month later, we'd be having this conversation and she would make this face. And in it, I saw, I think you're a moron, right? And so I would respond to how I felt that that face. Made. And, and so we then had to have conversations where she would say, I don't know what it is that you're feeling, but if, I'm not trying to, like, put that on you. And I would say, but this is how I feel. And she would say, this isn't true. And so you would go back and forth going, but but you I'm feeling this and and right there's an argument between truth and feeling in those moments, which wins how I feel, and that just seems like it can come out of nowhere or what you say is true so in our in our relationships, have you ever just woken up and you had a day where you're just like, "I'm not feeling it, right? We say that I'm not feeling it, and the other person's like, "I don't know what I'm supposed to do with that and and what typically wins in our heart is how we're feeling not what we actually believe is true and so we we let people get off with the idea of um i'm not feeling it i'm feeling off today right like what does that mean right and yet everyone everyone else has felt off and so there's like okay if you feel off like i'm going to stand over here right because that's dangerous territory and so we are we are more affected and controlled by our emotions even those of you who would say I'm in control than you think they they just kind of guide us And so we don't want our feelings to take over We don't want to feel ill equipped to do anything about it and for some of us it's not that we feel ill equipped to actually address our emotions it's that we're not sure that we even should. Right? If I feel it, then that must be true. And so why would I want to like, uh, deal with that? Because that's, that's, that trumps truth. And yet what our desire is, as we spend time in the Psalms is to begin to equip you to be able to handle the emotion that you're feeling and not let it rule you so that truth begin to emerge in it. And so hopefully that's where we're going to spend a lot of the rest of this message. Um, Before we get there, though, why laments? Right? Why are we studying a lament? Why would the psalmist include laments? Four quick things on this, because we're not going to do a ton of laments, and yet the psalms are chock full of them. And as you're reading, you're going to come across them. Um, Why? Why laments? Because not everyone in the room this morning is doing okay. Right? You're not all happy. You're not all joyful. You haven't all had a good week or a good season. Some of you come in battered and bruised and wounded, not physically, emotionally. You're not okay. And the, and the, psalm, the Psalms allow us the permission to say it's, that's okay, that we don't have to come in here this morning and put on a mask and pretend and act like it is. The, the psalmist, if we're in the laments, if we're in the Psalms and we see David crying out this way and you see someone else emotionally struggling that you can say it's all right you don't have to fake it here that our desire would be that redeemer would be a place where it's okay not to be okay where it's a safe place to be real to be known and you don't have to pretend and if we don't come to passages like this those of you who are doing okay you begin to forget that and you think well i've got it all put together right now which is presumptuous and arrogant But you begin to feel that way, and so then you look at others and say, why can't you just get it together? Try harder, work harder, be better. And that's not the gospel. It's not. It's that we were all broken, lost, and in need of hope. The enemy of God and Jesus rescued us. That is who we were. And apart from him, that's who we would still be. A second reason that we go to the laments. We live in a broken world and everything isn't okay in it. You cannot watch the news at any level and think that everything is okay. And so whether things are going splendidly in your world right now or not, we are called to sympathize with one another. And that does not mean that you need to be drab and dreary and depressed with everyone else all the time to carry their weight, right? But it does mean that we pray for and we sympathize and we look at those who are struggling and we say, hey, the gospel has something to say to that. Scripture has something to say about that. That we can't just flippantly not believe, think or pray or sympathize with our brothers and sisters around the world who are not meeting this morning because they're having to hide. Right? The lament say the world's broken, and God, we need you. And until we're with you again, this is the reality of of our world. So we do it because everyone here is not okay. We do it because we live in a broken world. We do it be, we we go to these because it gives you permission to feel, and there's no guilt in that. And we're going to say that a lot over the next few months because some of you need to hear that a lot. It's okay to feel, right? The Psalms give us permission to feel without guilt. That if you'll notice, if you'll look up above verse one, this starts with to the choir master this was a public lament a public song that they would have sung together so the people would have stood before the choir master and he would have commanded the congregation to sing why have you forsaken me sing that right he's saying all of you sing that because all of you think that and have felt that the Psalms give you permission to think and to feel some hard things And then to know that God is asking you to say them because he's going to deal with it. And not as as a trap being laid of, go ahead, go ahead and say that and I'll deal with it. But as a father who would say, I want to know how you're feeling, what you're thinking. Because I am who I say that I am. And the fourth thing, the reason that we go to the laments is because Jesus lamented. Right, we have, an, we have Jesus lamenting. And so, if, I'm not sure as we read through Psalm 22, did you see the cross? right? Did you hear the cross in Psalm 22? Psalm 22 is one of the most quoted psalms in all of the New Testament because it's pointing us to the cross. Here's what's going on. Um, it, it, David is a prophet, okay? Is part of his role. And so God has given him some insight into the future. Um, and, and yet, Jesus, he knew the Scriptures. He would have known Psalm 22. It would have been one he was familiar with. And so on the cross, he is quoting from Psalm 22, a psalm of lament, right? He's making a claim as he's saying it. Hey, that, that psalm that you knew pointed to a Messiah, that's me, What's going on here? They're hearing him on the cross quoting scripture from Psalm 22. And so it's both that it pointed us forward and that Jesus knew it and is, is speaking it. So this isn't just a lament, but it's pointing us to the cross. Um, look at this. Verse 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Right? Jesus cries that on the cross. Right? Right? Verse 2, as he talks about crying by night, we we picture him in the Garden of Gethsemane, right? As we we move forward in verse 4, and you are fathers trusted, they trusted and you delivered them, right? That that even David here is going, wait, there's some deliverance coming about here. Verse 6, he's scorned by mankind, despised by the people. Verse 7, see all the people who mock me, they mouth. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Remember the crowd around him mocking him, humiliating him, saying, if you're really who you say you are, pull yourself off the cross. Right? We see this breathed in the Psalm 22. Then if we go to verse 13, they open their mouths at me, right? They're mocking him. Then verse 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, Right? I'm poured out like water all my bones are out of joint my strength in verse 16 is dried up talks about his tongue to his jaws. for dogs encompass me a company of evil doers me listen to verse 16 they have pierced my hands and my feet verse 17 I can count all my bones remember none of Jesus's bones are broken they don't come and break his legs I can count all my bones They stare and they gloat over me. They think they win. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing, they cast lots. They're playing a dice game. Right? And so if you look um, between Matthew 27, between Mark 15, John 19, all of these crucifixion passages, you begin to see these things come um, come to fruition. Just a couple things. This is John 19, uh, verse 28. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said, to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. Right? We get this imagery of of the mouth stuck, the tongue stuck to the mouth. And that's when they they brought um, the sour wine over. Um, If you look in Mark 15, all right, um... This is in verse... Let's see. Sorry, I lost it there. Um, verse 18. Talk about... The, they began to salute him. Hail, king of the Jews. They were striking his head with a reed, spitting on him, kneeling down in homage to him. They mocked him. They stripped him, put clothes on him, and they led him out to crucify We see them surrounding him, beating him, mocking him, humiliating him. Verse 24 in Mark 15. And they crucified him, and they divided his garments among them, casting lots for them to decide each what each should take. In verse 34, the ninth hour Jesus cried with a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of them said, Well, he's calling for Elijah. Right? Like, that we see... Um, of carryover from psalm 22 to the crucifixion passage that this isn't just a psalm of lament for david but there's so much more to this that it is a psalm pointing us to the cross giving us prophecy and insight into jesus and what would happen there and jesus would have known psalm 22 and so he's quoting it and he's talking um So we begin to, we're going to go back to Psalm 22 now. And we're going to have a conversation here about what what does it look like? What does it mean to deal with our emotions with truth? Because here's what it doesn't mean. We don't give free reign to our emotions, right? We don't just let them say, hey, take me where you will. We don't. And some of us are more inclined to do that than others but we do not give them free reign to say, I feel what I feel and you can't judge me for how I feel and what I feel is true, right? Like we don't just get to carte blanche there. Go back to Psalm 22. Remember, verse 1 and 2, he's saying, Why have you forsaken me? Why are you far from me? I cry and you don't listen. And look at verse 3. Listen to this. Yet. Two verses in it and he says this. Yet. You are holy, You're enthroned on the praises of Israel. And you are fathers. He's talking about his ancestors. They trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. And you they trusted and were not put to shame. So you see this wrestling match going on now in David's heart where he's going, You've forsaken me. You're not listening to me. Like, you're ignoring me. Yet you are holy. Right? He is combating his emotions and how he feels with truth. And he's telling his heart over and over again, No, 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 no. God's holy. He's holy. My ans- the, the ancestors, they cried out and were delivered. They cried and they were heard. So as I'm crying, I'm going to be delivered. I'm going to be heard. And, and so then, and look, we're getting an insight into his mind, which is an insight into our mind. Then in verse 6, but I'm a worm and not a man, right? So he's feeling something. He combats it with truth. And then immediately he goes back. The, the emotions are overcoming him. But I'm a worm. I'm not a man. I'm scorned by mankind. I'm despised by the people. You can literally see the argument in his head, which is going to win, how he feels or truth. How he feels or truth. So he goes, they make their mouths at me. They wag their head. Here's what they say. He says, you trust in the Lord. Look at verse 9. Yet, right? Yet, you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breast. On you I was cast from my birth. And from my mother's womb, you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help. Right? He's saying, "It's it's, again, it's, it's yet, you're my God. And I don't feel it right now. I don't even know that I would say I want it right now, but that's true. That's true. And so we see David combating his deep, real, emotional desperation with the truth, of who God is and God's faithfulness and His character and what He's done in David's life and what He's done in those who have come before Him in their lives. And so there's a war between His emotions and truth. We see the same in Christ. In, in 1 Peter 2, I want you to be reminded of this. This is talking about Christ at the cross. This is verse 23. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. But listen, he continued entrusting himself to the one who judges justly. That at the cross, we see the pain and the anguish in Jesus. We see him saying, why have you forsaken me, right? But what what was he doing? He was entrusting the one who judges justly. He was trusting God in in the midst of emotional struggle. It's why he left the garden and went ahead and went to the cross. It's why he stayed on the cross where he did not have to. He was entrusting the one who judges justly. And so both David and Jesus give us this example of saying, when our emotions attack us, we bring truth to the, to the battle. So I want us to, to quickly now, we're going to go on to the rest of the, the psalm here. Knowing this, you're allowed to feel. You're allowed to feel. But your feelings don't get the final word. They do not trump truth. Truth has to come in to the equation. So now, go to verse 21. Your your translation is either going to say, He rescued or He answered. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen, right? So just like that, he goes, You've answered me. You've heard me. You've rescued me. And David goes on to say this, "...so I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise Him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify Him. Stand in awe of Him, all you offspring of Israel. For He has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. He has not hidden His face from Him, but He has heard when He cried to Him. From you comes my praise in the great congregation." Before him shall bow all who go down to the dust, even the one who could not keep himself alive. Posterity shall serve him, and it shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They will, shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn, that he has done it. Right? Psalm 22 feels bipolar, all right? Because the first 21 verses are like, I'm done, and I'm in the dust, and kill me now. And then all of a sudden, halfway through 21, through the end of 31, it's this psalm of joy and of remembrance and of confidence and of celebration. God, this is who you are. You have done it. And at this point, Christ has not been to the cross. Right? And he's trusting the character and the faithfulness of God. And so, for some of you, if you're feeling what he felt in 1 through 21... 21 through 31, if you missed the first half and you only got that, it would feel offensive. Like, oh, you Christians always singing about how good God is. And yet what David does in despair is he turns and he tells his heart true things. And whether he believed them in the moment or not, whether he felt them in the moment or not, he battled his emotions with truth. And it affected his countenance and his demeanor and his behavior and his actions. And we see that it wasn't a one and done. It was a back and forth. It was a struggle. And all of a sudden, this individual lament that feels like David alone is brought into the congregation. It's brought into the community. And together, we sing this. That he was heard. That he was answered. I just want to point out a couple things in this. Look at verse 22. He's rescued, he's been answered, he's been heard. He said, so I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. He's like, I'm going to tell people what you've done, who you are. Look at verse 24. For he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. He doesn't say we're not afflicted. He says he doesn't despise us. He has not hidden his face from him, but he has heard when he cried to him. God God hears you. He is not hiding His face from you. Verse 26. Y'all, hear the depth and the beauty of this. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek Him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. Saying, what you feel isn't what's true ultimately. What's true is that you will eat and be satisfied. You'll eat the bread of life and drink the living water. You'll be with Jesus, and that is what's true. That is what will last forever. You feel as though your emotions will, and David is saying, no, 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 I will be satisfied forever. That is what's true, not my emotions in this moment. Verse 27 All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. All the families of the nations shall worship before you. It's saying it's not just for a select, it's for the nations. Verse 30, And it shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. Right? We are commanded to begin to, to pass on what the Lord has done, what He is doing, so that they have something to remember. Have something to say, God's been faithful in the midst of hard emotions and hard seasons and hard circumstances. And so the, the unborn generations, those who are coming, will come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn. That he has done it. And so what you see in 27 through 31 is this powerful, abundant, overflowing, bountiful kingdom. Right? It's a different picture of being painted, not of despair and laying in the dust but of a kingdom that is forever, that is rich in mercy and bountiful in provision, and we sing of the glory of God. That is true, and that's the picture we need to be reminded of. It's a completely different picture, completely different action, demeanor, response. And so please hear me with this. The psalm is not dismissing your emotion. You are allowed to feel it and to feel it differently. deeply, what the psalmist is doing here is he's putting your emotion in its proper place and your emotion is not king. Jesus is king. Truth trumps emotion and it begins to put it in its place that we feel and we wrestle and we deal and then we, we land and reside in truth. Emotion does not drown us. Truth brings us up. So here's where we're going to end. You uh, it's Five quick thoughts. You have to know truth. Right? You have to know truth and you have to know the character of God if you're going to have anything in which to combat your emotional onslaught with. That you have to have something to remember, something to recall of God's faithfulness. You have to know who He is in the Word so that you can... When, when lies begin to come in, and Satan is great at bringing lies in via emotion, then you can say, no, 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 no. That's not how I'm seen by God. That's not how he views me. That's not who I am. This is what's true, and this is what's true about him. The, Satan convinced Eve not to trust God. He's convincing you of that as well. That's his motive. And we have to know who he is in order to combat the lies. You notice that David initially was alone in this, and he was about done. And then he brings it into the community. But this isn't one of those things where you need to stand up here each week and express your deepest, darkest emotions. But you do not need to do this alone. We are meant for community. We are built for relationship. And this is about not being alone, that you have a God who has said, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you, and then he has placed a church family around you it's not a building it's a people and so do this together it's okay not to be okay it's okay not to have it all together none of us do and so let's wrestle and struggle with this together if you don't have something to remember if you don't have something to recall if you don't know the truth of god let others be that voice for you because there will be moments where you're going to need it where you where you know it but you can't even tell your own self that don't lie in the dirt, unable to breathe, unable to, to drink. Allow some come to someone and say, "I need truth," because this I'm I'm Psalm twenty two one through twenty one, and I can't even picture twenty two through thirty one right now. Help me. As you read Psalm twenty two again this week, as you wrestle with it, would you see Jesus that David asked? Why have you forsaken me? David was not forsaken. You may ask, why have you forsaken me? You have not been forsaken. Jesus was forsaken. He was separated from the Father, he was forsaken on our behalf. These emotions that you have felt, the emotions that David is feeling, apart from the cross, crush us. Apart from hope, they consume us. They're, they're a rising floodwater of emotions that kill us. And you see in nations with, with super high suicide rates, typically, typically there is a very low view of God there or no view of God. And so when emotions flood and they hit and there's nowhere to turn and there's no hope, then what's the point? Right? But we can feel things deeply and hard and suffer, and yet we have hope because we don't have to feel them alone. And we have not been forsaken. God had Jesus forsaken on our behalf without the cross we have no hope folks Jesus did not have to do that he came and joined us in the fray and felt and experienced and was forsaken so that you don't have to be and so when you pray to him he knows and he feels and he can relate the fourth thing do not just be informed of the cross. Don't know the details and the facts. Don't let the stories and the Gospels be all. Come to Psalm 22. like See that there was an emotional like price paid by Jesus. Read this in light of Him. That we have to be moved and not just informed of the cross. As you read that going, Jesus was quoting this on the cross be patient do not presume we see we have to wait sometimes we trust the faithfulness and the patience of god is not in order to see how far he can like take us before he breaks us it's because he's a good father who's doing what's best for us in the moment and he's he's bringing good out of the situation Jesus asked on the cross, Why are you forsaking me? Where are you? Church, he didn't get an answer. Okay? It was silence. So, would we not presume upon the Lord to demand an answer in our time? But could we stand and trust and say, But you are good and you are faithful and I can trust you? So, I'm asking you to speak and do it soon because I'm crumbling. I trust you. Finally, in Christ, your story is 21 to 31, right? The bountiful kingdom. In Christ. That's who we are. That as Isaac was spared and not sacrificed by Abraham, as we have been spared, Jesus was not. And we taste the spoils of victory. That we get to eat with no money. We drink bringing nothing to the table. That this is our story. This is who we are because of what Christ has done. And so Psalm 22 starts with this. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We see Jesus crying that on the cross. Psalm 22 ends with this. That he has done it. The same idea of what Jesus says on the cross, it is finished. It is finished. There's nothing left to be done. Jesus has accomplished it for us on our behalf. And what he is inviting all of us to do is to come and to eat and drink and be merry and do it deeply with him forever. And so we, we're going to leave Psalm 22 with a little bit of tension, okay? Okay. That, that we still live in a broken world and you're going to feel some things and, and you're not always going to feel verses 21 through 31. But that is what is true. And so we combat the emotions of 1 through 21 with the glory and the truth picture we see in the end. That it is finished. It's done. You are not forsaken. And God's character wins out. That we stand and can trust Him. Let's pray.